so much for this time we have together today. We just come before you in, in honor and thanksgiving, Lord. You're so good to us. Your presence is so awesome. We just love that you love when we play as your children together and come together enjoying thanksgiving. And so, Lord, we just give you all the honor and glory and praise. And, Lord, we thank you so much that you have an eternal dwelling of unspeakable joy, that we have an eternity, an eternal dwelling in your presence that is beyond comprehension, that language, that words can't describe how amazing, how unfathomable life is going to be for eternity in you. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for our hope that we have, and we thank you that Lord, you say that the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for that eternal promise of joy. Lord, we just come before you now in in thanksgiving for all you've done, Lord, through your precious blood and sacrifice. And we just thank you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. So... For those of you who are new here, uh, we've been in a long-term series (laughs) on eternity, and I am excited because um, we've been talking about eternity, and and I've been spending a lot of time on it because I want to really build a solid foundation. Um, In in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, which I often start my messages with, one of the fundamental elementary teachings of Jesus Christ is eternal judgments. And so we've spent a lot of time talking about that, and we're going to spend more time on it. But up until now, we've been on the side of the equation of eternal punishment, which has been quite challenging, as it always is. And and in fact, it's so challenging, a lot of people just neglect it and ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist, unfortunately. But it's an important part. Like I said, it says it's one of the most elementary teachings of Jesus Christ, and so it's important to have a solid foundation. Now, thank God, we are on the side of the equation of heaven. And so I'm excited to be, excuse me, excited to be speaking about this because we've been anticipating this for quite some time, and I'm glad to be able to to start talking about it. So I want to start off today by reminding you of a scripture that I talked about a long time ago, but I want to refresh our memory, especially in this context. And so how many of you heard that saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I'm going to try and be nice. <laughs> that is totally unscriptural. What do you mean it's unscriptural? <clears throat> this is the Bible. This is what the Bible says. And this is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's telling us the opposite. This is Colossians 3, 1 to 4. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The complete opposite of that saying. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory, which we're going to be talking about later today. But I, I have yet to meet the person who is so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. <laughs> right? We're supposed to be heavenly minded. We're supposed to be constantly thinking about heaven. And that's why I want to spend some time hammering this home that 
we have an eternal hope that is set before us. Remember last time I talked about for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the shame of the cross, Hebrews 12. He endured the pain, all of the suffering, all of the rejection, everything. He, you know what helped him through it? It says the joy set before him. So we're supposed to constantly be thinking about heaven. Now, we, we this is a, I think maybe not as much as hell for sure, but something that's neglected. Like we don't often even hear sermons on heaven. We talk about heaven in passing often, but we don't really spend time thinking about it like we should be, right? Like we should be having our hearts and minds set on heaven. Um, and that's how we're to live our lives in this life. And so... I want to show you a couple other scriptures. This is Jesus talking, saying the same thing in different ways. So these are just a few examples. This is all from the same chapter, Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus. He said, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I've talked about this before, but, you know, often we ask, God, what's your will? This is his will. On earth as it is in heaven. So, if it's in heaven, then we know it's his will on earth. A perfect example is healing. Is there any sickness or disease in heaven? No. So we can pray in confidence, God, it's your will that there's no sickness on earth because there's no sickness in heaven. So your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No sickness. Right? So it's in, how are we going to pray God's will if we don't even think about heaven? We don't even know what's in heaven. Or what heaven is like. And so it's important for us to consider, okay, what's heaven like? Because once we have an understanding and we have it set in our heart what heaven's like, we know how to pray. Because that's our mandate from the Lord is that we advance his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth. So God wants heaven on earth. So it's important for us to consider what heaven is like. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin don't destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, I've spent time on this, and I won't, but uh, today for that reason... And by the way, because I'm in a series and I tend to allude to previous messages, it, since there's some new people, if you would like previous messages from this series, just email ottawa at catchthefire.com or visit our Facebook page, Catch the Fire Ottawa. We have all of the sermons posted or we'd be happy to send you the MP3s and sermon notes. Okay, so remember in Colossians 3, it says our hearts are supposed to be set above. So if we're living for the temporal realm and we're like Jesus is saying, and I give this analogy so much, but it, we're planning, for instance, for retirement. We're storing up treasures on earth for like 15, 20 years. Why aren't we thinking instead of storing for ourselves treasures in heaven that are going to be eternal rewards forever and ever and ever? And that's Jesus' exhortation. He says, where are your treasures? There your heart's going to be. So if your treasure's on earth, your heart's going to be earthly-minded, your heart's going to be on earth. But if you're thinking of heaven and how what you're doing now is impacting your eternal reward, that's where your heart's going to be, right? And so it's important for us to consider that concept throughout our day even. What, what am I doing right now? Is it for earth, you know, temporal stuff, or is it for heaven? And it's supposed to be for heaven. We should be considering that. Matthew 6, 33, we all know this. Seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. How, are you, how, do, how do you seek the kingdom? Okay, someday I want to give a, probably a whole story, at least a message on the kingdom of heaven because there's so much to it. Jesus talks about it so much. But my point is we're supposed to be seeking heaven, right? And he says if you seek heaven, the kingdom of heaven, then all these things that you're worried about, clothing, shelter, money, will be given to you. Okay, so it's, all of this to say, thinking about heaven is a really important thing, and we should be constantly thinking about how, how heaven, but not only heaven, how our actions now are um, influencing heaven, our eternal reward, and that's what really essentially this series is all about. How living life from an eternal perspective, the importance of living our entire life from an eternal perspective. So understanding heaven. So now, we talk, when we talked about hell, I mentioned this, and we're and, um, going to be talking about heaven now, but if you remember, I mentioned, biblically speaking, there's a temporary intermediate hell that people, when they die, if, they're not, if their names aren't written in the book of life, go to this place. It's called Hades. Okay, so the script, there's a lot of scriptures on Hades. That's where, that's the realm of the dead, until the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment, then Hades and death and, and unfortunately people who uh, stay in rebellion are going to be thrown in the lake of fire. That's the permanent hell, okay? In the same way, there's actually a temporary intermediate heaven, and then when the, and I'm going to be talking about this more, so if you're like, what are you talking about? You'll see the scriptures. Um, and we, what we call heaven, the Bible refers to in different ways, like the heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem above, and paradise. But when the white throne judgment comes, in the same way, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and it's called the new Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to be for eternity. The, the, when heaven comes to earth in its fullness and the new Jerusalem comes to earth, that's where our final dwelling place is. Okay, the age to come, and we're gonna, it says we're going to see God face-to-face at that time. So it's going to be awesome. So just to foreshadow what I'm going to go in more detail later, Revelation 21, 1 and 2, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and he's quoting Isaiah 65, 17. For the first heaven and the first earth, that's the earth we live in now, had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay, so what's the current heaven look like? I mentioned this last time. Jesus in the Gospels talks about hell way more than he talks about heaven, interestingly enough. And I talked about why last time. There are some glimpses of heaven, and these are the scriptures I want to focus on today. Okay, so one you can find in Hebrews chapter 12, 22. This is really interesting. So, to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Just like today, eh? We had a couple of them here today. The joyful <laughs> assembling with us, I guess. You've come to thousands of, oh, yeah, I already said that, To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, in the book of life. We talked about that before. We'll talk about that again. Um, but the church of the, what's, who's the firstborn? If you don't know, that's Jesus Christ. The, the scriptures offer, sorry, um, refer to him as the firstborn. Many brethren, that's Romans 8, 28, 9. And so he's talking about the church of Jesus Christ. You're going to see them in heaven. 
us in heaven, I should say. You've come to God, so the judge of all, so he lives in heaven, of course, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I have spirits underlined there for a reason, and I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes, okay? So notice, though, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So you can see heaven's full of angels, full of redeemed people, saints. Uh, Our spirits, when we die, our spirits right now go to heaven. Okay, that's the first heaven. But we'll see once the day of the Lord comes, we'll actually have resurrected supernatural bodies. Those are our permanent bodies. But for now... When you go to heaven, your spirit is in heaven, okay? And that's essentially what it's saying. Now, some people, be- I won't even go there. There's, now, what we're going to talk, there's a lot of mystery. I'll be honest, a lot of mystery surrounding heaven, and I'm actually going to show you some of that today. And, and rather than give you statements as a fact, I'm going to ask questions. What can this mean to think about? Because, as you'll see later, and that's why there's so much uh, controversy in the end times and that sort of thing, because people have so many different opinions on what these scriptures mean. Like, what does it, some people say, I'll just say, the spirits of the righteous are people now that you can see in heaven. You know how it says, come boldly to the throne of grace? Like Paul the Apostle will talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, goes to heaven. That you, if you go to, anyway, that's what some people believe that means. But I think it just means, and it could mean that, that once we die, the spirit, our spirits go to heaven and you see us there. Um, and I just gave you Galatians 6, uh, 4.26 to show you that it's also called the Jerusalem above, okay? So this is the current first heaven we're talking about. Now, to give you a glimpse, Paul the Apostle actually goes to heaven in the Bible. It's really interesting. He, he's, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4. He says, I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one's permitted to tell. No, probably 100% of theologians believe Paul's talking about himself here, okay? He often talks about himself in the second person, especially when it could be perceived as bragging. He'll say, we, or, you know. Anyway, so he's talking about this trip he had when he went to heaven, impacted him for the rest of his life. Okay? Now, I'll show you what I mean here. This is, year, okay, this is years later when he's writing to the Corinthians church, or sorry, the Philippians church. So I have here, heaven is such a glorious place that Paul's trip of heaven is still affecting him 14 years later when he's writing this letter. This is 14 years ago. I went to heaven, right? And it was so crazy that I'm talking to you about it now because it's so impactful. Now, when you catch, the, the point of this is heaven's a real place. It's not some... You know, unfortunately, there's this misconception that we're going to be living on clouds and, you know, playing harps and there'll be like spirits flying around and I don't know. It sounds super weird. No way. Heaven is glorious. It's an awesome place. And it actually, and I'll talk about this in a minute, there's actually, we are kind of a, stuff you see on earth is basically a representation of what you'll see in heaven, but way more glorious in heaven, okay? Because God created heaven. He created earth. He likes green, (laughs) you know, like I, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. There's grass in heaven. There's, he, anyway, all that to say, 
when you catch sight of what God's promised us for eternity, your life will change, like Paul's was here. That's why I'm talking about this and trying to give you a scriptural glimpse of heaven to get us focused on heaven. Because when we focus on heaven, right, and, and like I've been talking about previously, how our actions now is going to affect how we live in heaven in terms of our position, our authority, our rewards forever and ever and ever and ever changes the way you live, changes the way you think. Okay, because everything you do now is going to impact your heavenly dwelling, so to speak. So when this promise is buried deep in our heart, and you know it's true, you're going to live to spend eternity in heaven, the place where you'll be face to face with God. Now this is Philippians. This is years later. For, this is Paul talking. Philippians 1, 21 to 23. For, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> I am to go on living in the body, this temporal realm. This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul was torn. Why was he torn? Because he had that heavenly experience so many years earlier. The rest of his life, he was, he was ruined. He's like, man, oh man, I really want to be there in heaven. <laughs> But here I am, and I'm torn because, okay, it's good for me to be here for your sake, but man, I want to be in heaven. That's way better, right? He actually looks forward to dying, you know, and that's a testimony because you hear of a lot of Christians who are, like, scared to die. It's like, why are you scared to die? Paul is like, I want to die because that means I'm going to be with the Lord, okay? He's not suicidal. He just knows how glorious it is. And in fact, how many of you have heard of stories or testimonies of people who've died and went to heaven or visited heaven? They're like, man, I did not want to come back. Uh, there's, there's this story. I won't give the whole story, but this kid, he died. He went, got electrocuted in his... Uh, long story. I'll give you a really short version. He was... His dad, this is 1979. His dad was... His first day in the ministry, first night he goes and preaches, okay? Before that, he was uh, uh, in working for the sheriff or whatever. He was a police officer. His, while he was gone ministering, his kid, his 10-year-old, was in the bathtub watching Monday Night Football. And the TV fell in the bathtub, got electrocuted. This guy comes home. His wife is just on the ground weeping, yelling, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he's like, what's wrong? He could tell. He's like, death is in this house because he was a police officer for so many years. He knew something's really wrong. So he goes, sees his son, and he said if when he was a police officer, if he would have son saw his, the, what he saw there, that he would have just this, this uh, called the coroner's office. There's no hope. But he's like, I'm a man of faith. So he starts praying and saying, you know, whatever. Long story short, paramedics come. He prays for 45 minutes. And at the end, the paramedics are kind of getting impatient because this, this, this son's obviously dead. And, he, and then he just finally gives up and he says, Lord, I am out of faith. But I know that there's a faith that you talk about in 1 Corinthians, a supernatural faith, faith, chapter 12. I need that faith right now. And he said as soon as he prayed that, this, this, he felt the sensation on his head. And as soon as it hit his lips, he said something like this, you shall live and not die. And as soon as he said that, the son's heart rate beat went up. And anyway, long story short, the son was in a coma for seven months. After he got out of a coma, his son went to heaven. And he's telling his dad all about this. He met relatives that like he never met in real life and all this stuff. So it was really amazing. But what's interesting is at the end, Jesus is like, you have to go back now. So he gives this kid a tour and this kid just wants to, he's like, this is awesome. 
And Jesus is like, oh, you have to go back. And this, the, the kid in heaven was like, oh, man, why? Like, no, I don't want to go back. I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus lifts this veil and he's like, your dad's praying for you right now. And he has authority to call you back. He, shows his, he sees his dad praying for him in the bathtub. And as soon as he did that, he, he went back to his body or whatever. Anyway, the point is he did not want to go back. This 10-year-old, and he told his dad, he's like, if this ever happens again, do not call me back. <laughs> yeah. So heaven is glorious. And, and I just want us to know that it's not something to be scared of. It's something to really rejoice in and embrace. And I know it's hard to see that when loved ones pass on and that sort of thing. But really, if we can get a hold of this and they've been, they're in the Lord, then we're rejoicing. My goodness, they must be having an awesome time right now with the Lord, right? And so it really changes the way you think. Now, I have here, Heaven is for Real. How many of you read that book or saw the movie? Or, yeah, that was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. Awesome. Hollywood um, took that movie. So, um, Heaven's Real, and it's a physical place, okay? So these are just some scriptures, and like I said, there, Scripture gives us glimpses of heaven. I heard somewhere, I think it's something like 53 out of 66 of the books of the Bible taught, reference heaven. So it's all over the Bible, okay? But we only see small glimpses of it. But we do know different things, and these are just some examples that heaven has streets of gold, right? And I have scriptural references for you if you want to look this up later. That's in Revelation 21, 21, and 22, 1 to 2. It has trees, and, and we know that the tree of life is there. Um, it has buildings. So Jesus in John 14, 2, we know that he says, I have many mansions for you guys, right? He had prepared a place for you. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't be telling you this. And so we know there's buildings. Talks about the temple, a whole bunch of different structures in heaven. So we know there's buildings. Um, there's different bodies of water. There's rivers. There's lakes. There's sea, the sea of glass. Um, there's animals. So for all of us animal lovers, uh, we'll have fun creatures like lion-looking things and horses. And we know just from Scripture that there's going to be different kinds of animals, etc. My point is it's a real place. In fact, it's more real, Paul says, than the temporal realm. It's more real. So the irony is we think what we're living in is real. Probably to the angels, we look like transparent beings, you know, like, like we're, we're the fake looking things, you know, like there, there's more substance. It's more real in heaven. Okay. So I want to talk about the heavenly body. Cause I, I alluded to this earlier and there's some interesting scriptures. What's our body going to look like in heaven? And I just wanted to mention some scriptures. Okay. On this to give us an idea of what that's going to look like. Now I already, I wanted to talk about this that there's a distinction scripturally between the, my, or the soul, spirit, and body. You guys might know this, but I have 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 here. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, so there, there be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There seems to be a distinction. Hebrews 4.12 says something similar, and I alluded to this, or mentioned this last week. Um, anyway, it talks about the word of God dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. So there's, there's a difference. Jesus also talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, there's a, there's, there's a popular idea. What's the soul? People say it's the mind, will, and emotions. How many of you have heard of that before? A lot of us, yeah. Um, I used to believe that too because I was taught it. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Sure, that's what the soul is. But honestly, there's really no scriptural evidence. I back, like, where, what are you basing that off of? It's, it's almost like, okay, your spirit is 
this and your body's that. And so this is what your soul must be. But honestly, there's really no scriptures. In fact, if you think about it, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. So he distinguishes mind from soul. So to say it's your mind, will, and emotions, I'm like, I don't know. So I was going to talk about that. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even know if I believe that. And so I'm just going to leave the soul as a mystery for now. But I do want to talk about the spirit and body because there's a clear distinction in scripture between soul and body, okay? So I already talked about this, Hebrews 12 and verse 24, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It's clear when we go to heaven that our spirits are going to heaven. So this is 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 9. For we know that this... Uh, that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and we leave this earthly body, we'll have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to uh, put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we'll put on heavenly bodies, we'll not be spirits without bodies. In the Greek, it says, we'll not be naked. This is the NLT, but that's what their interpretation of this means. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared for us for this, and guaranteed he's given us the Holy Spirit. Okay, so then he goes on. Uh, I wanted to mention, he, ta- he goes on there. I'll, I won't bother. But um, notice, this is in the context. We talk about the judgment seat of Christ. Right after he talks about this, that's that scripture I've been quoting so much. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him for we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, okay? Uh, to be judged for things good or bad, well done in this body. And so my point is, in this context, Paul's distinguishing and he's making it clear, when we go to heaven, we are actually going to have another body. It's a spiritual heavenly body different from our resurrected bodies. Because when we stand before the Lord and have the, in front of the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be resurrected, and I'm going to be talking about this in a minute, and we're going to actually have new heavenly bodies. So I'll talk about that for a minute, resurrected heavenly bodies. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this scripture just because this is an interesting scripture that is also kind of a mystery. But I think... God willing, I get through what I want to today. We're going to see potentially why Paul said this, okay? It's kind of mysterious. This is Philippians 3, 10 to 14. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. What's what's he talking about? Because, and I'm going to show you a mysterious verse later that shows what I'm what he might be talking about because there's actually two different resurrections in the Bible that doesn't get talked about much I'll show you that later in Revelation says this is the first resurrection those who are holy and blameless they're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years if you're part of the first resurrection so maybe Paul's talking about that here I don't know so anyway he goes on here But verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to say this, too. Um, I was going to, I gave a little bit of a story of heaven, not really. Um, I want to encourage us, because it's an imperative in the Bible to think about heaven all the time, I find it personally really encouraging to listen to and read stories of people who've been to heaven. Now, you got to pray about it, like, because, you know, who knows? You got to just make sure they're legit. But if you've ever heard a story of someone, whether they passed away or they went to heaven like Paul did while he was still on this earth, 
so encouraging and it resonates with your spirit. It's like, yes, and it gives you hope. I know sometimes like in the past when I would just listen to the stories of heaven, it'd be so encouraging and it'd just make you remember that, okay, this is all temporal. We have an eternal place that's so glorious beyond comprehension. And to have our minds thinking about that constantly, and that's a good way to remind yourself of listening to people who've experienced heaven to make you realize how awesome and glorious it is. Um, one that I really like was Jesse. How many of you have heard Jesse DePlantis's story when he went to heaven? Oh, a lot of us. Okay. I'm sure you could find it on YouTube. Jesse DePlantis's YouTube trip to heaven or something. He had an encounter in the 80s where he went to heaven. It was awesome. It was really cool and really encouraging. And he got to tour heaven and that sort of thing. So anyway, I'm just going to uh, leave that at that and suggest that um, if you want, especially if you're feeling down or whatever, discouraged, just, just a reminder, hey, why don't I listen to some testimonies about heaven to get, to get me excited, right? And to shift my focus that that's really what it's about. This temporal stuff is just, you know, yes, it's going to pass. So 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 56. I'll just read this. There's a lot of text, but this is talking about, this is different now. Okay, when we go to heaven, our spirits right now go to heaven. We have some kind of heavenly body. But now Paul's talking about the resurrection. Okay, whether we're talking about the first or the second resurrection, we, our bodies now are going to be raised with Christ someday. Now, so he's talking about that right now, this mystery. Okay, so he says, but someone will ask, what are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he's determined, and to each kind of seed gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds and fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. Now, this is interesting. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and the stars differ in the splendor. This is interestingly talking about heavenly bodies, I believe, and that different bodies when you're in heaven are going to differ in splendor. Now, if you've ever read any books like The Final Quest or whatever with Rick Joyner, that's true. Depending how you live on this life, you're going to be closer or further away from the Lord. Now, there's scriptures on this, too. You're going to have, you have more glory. You're going to have uh, different types of glorious clothing, depending how you lived in this life. And, and we're going to talk all about that in the weeks to come. I'm just uh, throwing that out there for now. But there's, you're going to, depending how you live this life, depending how you die, you're going to be raised in a certain way. I'll just say that for now. So, will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that it's sown perishable is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. Raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Anyway, I think I'll just, uh, you can read this on your own. He's saying the same thing over and over again. There's a spiritual body. It's different from the natural body. Your natural body is going to be a seed, and you're going to be raised imperishable and immortal. And I want to draw your attention down here. So shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. He's talking about Christ. So when we're raised from the dead, because he's talking about the first Adam and the last Adam, we're going to, just as we have been born in the image of the earthly man, talking about Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, talking about Jesus Christ. Now notice down there, he also talks about at the last trumpet, that's when we're going to be raised from the dead, which is kind of interesting, and I'll get to that later. Okay, moving on then. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. 
talking about when we're raised, when we have a resurrected body, we're going to bear the image of Jesus Christ. The interesting thing is a lot of people who visited heaven, including that little boy I was talking about later, said when he was there, he was like the age of 30. And a lot of people have said that, that we're all going to be around the age of like 33. Young people. Some people speculate it's because that's when Jesus died and we're going to bear his image and that's when he was raised to use that age. But we're going to, if you're older than that, you're going to look younger. If you're younger than that, you're going to look older. That's what, I just realized that's how old I am. So you're going to look like me. <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. No, okay, no. Much better than that. Okay. <laughs> that's a joke. Okay, so 1 John 3, and this is saying a similar thing. Okay, so, so see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we're children of God and what we will be has not yet been made, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purifies himself just as he's pure. So we're going to in some way bear the image of Jesus Christ when we're raised from the dead in his resurrected body, how he looks now. And this is an interesting verse from Romans. This is kind of saying something similar, and you could take it different ways. But for God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Talking about the image now, right? That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And if you remember in Hebrews, we talked about the church of the firstborn. Again, that's one of the scriptures referring to Jesus. So a glimpse of Jesus' resurrected body. So what's our resurrected body going to be like? Like I said, there's some indications in scripture. One of them, when Jesus raised from the dead, at the end of Luke, for instance, and John, we actually see some indications of what our resurrected body is going to be like. First of all, we're going to look like a human being. Because if you remember in John 20, when he raised from the dead and Mary saw him, she didn't recognize him at first. She thought he was the gardener. And then he spoke to her and he's like, oh, Jesus. So he looked like a human being. He didn't look like some supernatural freaky monster or something. His resurrected body still looked like a human being. Okay, so this is in Luke 24, 30 to 31. It says, Now it came to pass that he sat at the table with them, and he took bread, blessed it and broke it, gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. So when you have your resurrected body, you're going to be able to vanish. <laughs> now look at this. Now... Now he appears, okay? They're in a lot, if you read, so this is Luke, now fast forward to verse 36. Jesus all of a sudden appears in their midst. Now this isn't his resurrected body. So now they said these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them, just all of a sudden, and John had said there was locked doors and he just appeared, and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed it was a spirit. So they thought it was a spirit. And he, uh, yeah, well, this, yeah, ghost, some versions say, but this says a spirit. And, uh, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts raise in your hearts? Behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So when he's saying, look, I have a body. This is actually real. I have flesh and bones. So I'm not a spirit. And so, right, we're going to have flesh and bones in our resurrected body. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, and he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it, and he ate in their midst. Good news, we're going to be eating in heaven. <laughs> Our resurrected bodies are going to be eating, and that's good news. Maybe, yeah, great news. Let's hope that there's, anyway, yeah. So, 
So we'll be able to eat. I just have this over here. We'll be able to vanish and reappear. Okay. Um, oh, next slide. Yeah. So, so there's other scriptures. I just gave you a couple. And, and John, he eats breakfast with them. He eats fish. Now, what's interesting, like I said, you'll be able to vanish and reappear. In this life, sometimes there's the, the Holy Ghost. There's indications in scripture that you can uh, vanish and reappear. In Acts chapter 7, verse 39 to 40, when they came out of the water, this is Philip now, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared all of a sudden at Ozidus and traveled about preaching the gospel to the towns he reached in Caesarea. I've heard stories of people like Joshua Mills. They, they disappear, then they appear in like China and get a preach there and then reappear back in Florida, whatever. If the Holy Spirit wills it, it can happen apparently. And so that's a glimpse, a foretaste maybe of what, what we could do in our resurrected bodies. You'll also be able to float in the air. What are you talking about? Jesus does it in Acts 1, 9 to 10. Okay? After this, he said, he, uh, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So he's floating up to the sky. They're looking intently upon him uh, into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before. So... That little boy, that story I was telling you about, that 10-year-old said he, Jesus was showing him around uh, heaven and he, they were actually flying in sometimes. I'm, right. I, I mean, I'm, if we're going to have resurrected bodies like Jesus, apparently we're going to be able to do, do these things, right? I don't know. You could argue with that if you want, but yeah, it'll be fun. Okay. <laughs> so, so, fun times, appearing, disappearing. Now, the New Jerusalem, it says it's 1,400 miles, square miles. That's like half the size of America, okay? That's how big the New Jerusalem city is going to be. That's huge, right? That's like half the size of America. Imagine going from like the East Coast to like Kansas City. 1,400 miles, okay? So how are we going to go around the city? Maybe you're going to vanish and reappear. I don't know. We'll see when we get there. Okay. So I wanted to just briefly talk about this. This is important, and I don't like necessarily talking about eschatology, to be honest. So I'm going to like try and shy away from some of the controversial stuff, but there's some clear stuff in Scripture that's important to talk about, especially in the weeks to come. It's important to have this foundation, because when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, for example, it's important, important to, for us to understand where that occurs and the significance of it. And so what I wanted to do today is not really talk about controversial stuff, because you can make arguments till the cows come home of different things, but I just want to show you clear scriptural stuff so we have a grid for it, okay? The chronology of the age to come. Now, I won't go into all these scriptures, but I want to tell you, if you don't know this, that there's going to be an age to come that's different from this current age. And Jesus says this a couple times, right? We talked about Matthew 12, 38. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be forgiven in this age or the age to come, which is intense. Uh, Luke 18, 29, he says, No one who's left home, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Paul talks about 1 Timothy 4, 8, For the physical training of one is some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So just if you don't know that, and I'm not sure, like, you know, what you've heard. I remember when I first learned about this stuff, I was like, that makes sense. Because you hear about different things. And unless you're taught it, it's like, how does that fit in? Like the thousand year reign of Christ, that sort of thing. Today, I'm just going to quickly show you what that, how that fits in with different scriptures. 
Okay, so the Great Tribulation, we hear that term a lot. At the end of this age, there's going to be a period of tribulation. I have a bunch of scriptures here. You can just look them up later. But Jesus talks about this. The book of Revelation, the majority of it talks about this. There's going to be a man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. He's going to appear, be revealed, and he's going to deceive a lot of people. That's in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 12. He's going to exalt himself above God. He's going to persecute Christians and lead many into rebellion against God. This is all in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, in this time period, the Lord's going to come for his people. This is Matthew 24, 30 and 2 Thessalonians 2. Some people believe it's going to happen before the tribulation. You should hear that, the rapture, right? Some believe midway and some others. The rapture I'm talking about. So, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, whatever trib. Some, now, if you don't know this, the ones who believe it's going to happen midway makes a lot of sense scripturally. Why do I say that? Because Jesus himself says, after the last trumpet call, Paul twice, in fact, in that second, or first Corinthians chapter 15 and in second Thessalonians said, after the trumpet call, then we're going to be caught away with the Lord. If you look at the book of Revelation, there's the seals, there's the trumpets, and there's a last trumpet. And then before or after that, there's the bowls of wrath. So a lot of people scripturally make the case that the, when, and then the last trumpet, in the, the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation, there's a mystery, it says, if I remember right. So the point is, a lot of people believe scripturally that's when we're going to be raptured. I'm kind of partial to that just because it's more, it seems more scriptural, but I, I'm not going to go there because if you're preaching, fine. <laughs> What's the point? The point is this, whatever the case is, this is some wisdom that I heard someone say and I love it. Live like he's coming back tomorrow. Plan like he's coming back in 100 years. Why do I say that? Because a lot of people are bitter because in the 60s and 70s when everyone's like, he's coming back tomorrow, he's coming back like tomorrow. Lived in fear, didn't plan, didn't go to college. <laughs> I could name people who did this and they're bitter now. They're like, I didn't go to college because I thought the Lord was coming back like tomorrow. Okay. Why don't we live like he is coming back tomorrow? Because Jesus exhorts us to. But let's just plan like he's coming back in 100 years from now. Like go to college if you're that young. You know, have a career. Whatever the Lord leads you. My point is, it's good to plan generationally in case the Lord tarries. Because think about it. Those people who thought that in the 70s, this is 40 years later. They're like retired now. Right? So they should have planned like he's coming in 100 years. Not to say he is. Some people do believe he's coming back tomorrow. That, he could. He could. I'm not saying he's not. My point is... You know, just it's good to live your life with this tension. Jesus says this, Matthew 25, Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So we don't know when he's coming back. But we're supposed to constantly keep watch for him. That's the point. Keep watch. So this is for Seth. I won't read this all. Thessalonians 4, because, you know, I want to make sure I get through what I want to. But um, according to the Lord's word, this is verse 15, we tell you that, we who are still alive, he's talking about when the Lord returns, uh, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. He's talking about those who've already died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. That's what I was talking about earlier. And the dead in Christ will raise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What's my point? This is this, one of the scriptures people use to talk about the rapture. The rapture is not actually in the Bible. I'm talking about the word now. 
But they're talking about, okay, at some point, Jesus is going to return. And when that happens, we're, we're going to be raised from the dead if you've died. If not, you're going to be caught up together with the Lord. Okay? And so I wanted to show you that to, to say this. To give you a grid of the time frame. Oh, that's weird. That didn't turn out well on Apple. Okay. Well, on mine, it turned out well. And that's kind of a bummer. Um, <laughs> well, I'll just re uh, read it to you. So there's a great, at least you can see the big, arrows, the great tribulation, then there's the millennial reign of Christ, then there's the great white throne judgment, that sh the arrow should be down, and there's the new heaven and the new earth. So the great tribulation, like I said, at some point, we are going to be raptured and caught up with the Lord. At the end of the tribulation, this is Revelation 19 now, it talks about the man of sin, the Antichrist, who's going to make war against Jesus and the saints. So the ones who were raised and the ones who've gone before, we're going to be in the army of God. And the devil and the Antichrist is going to get all the kings of the earth and all of the Antichrist and false prophets are going to war against Jesus. And one day, Jesus is going to defeat them. Okay, it talks about this in Revelation 19. And then, when this happens, Jesus is going to set up his thousand-year reign on earth. That's what it was supposed to say there. So, where are scriptures on this? I'll just go quick. Jude 14, 15. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and convict all of them of the ungodly acts that they've committed in their ungodliness. So he's talking about Jesus is coming back with his holy ones to judge the earth. And, and this is clear. If you want to read this, I won't read the whole thing. This is Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. Talks about this whole war. This is at the very end, after the seven bowls of wrath. Um, he talks about how Jesus comes, right? In verse 14, he says, The armies of heaven were following him, riding on the white horses, and dressed in fine linen and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. So there's this war that happens. If you go down there in verse 19, then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and the armies were gathered together to wage war against the rider of the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs, he's deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider and the horse. All the birds gathered, uh, anyway, ate their flesh. What's the point? After the tribulation, big-time war, Jesus obviously is victorious, thousand-year reign, okay? So, millennial reign of Christ. I'm guessing it doesn't, doesn't show up. Oh, bummer. Okay. So, the millennial reign of Christ, this means there's going to be, a, after this war, there's a thousand years where if you're part of the first resurrection, you're actually going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, Okay? So, the devil's bound for a thousand years. This is Revelation 21 to 3. People who share in the first resurrection will rule with him. When the thousand years is up, Satan's actually going to be released again to deceive the nations, it says. Then there's going to be another war after the thousand years. The devil's going to try and make war. Then God's fire dev devours the devil. Then the great white throne judgment happens now. Okay? So, there's <laughs> the arrow. Sorry the, about that. It, it, anyway, on mine it looks all nice, but... So here's, here's the scriptures on this. I'm just going through. Now, this is the book of Revelation, 19, 20, 21, 22. Gives you all of this information. I'm just trying to do it in a way that makes sense chronologically. Okay? So, bound him the devil for a thousand years. 
And then I saw, now this is interesting, verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who'd been given authority to judge. Those who've been given authority. Now, there's a lot of promises, particularly to the seven churches. If you overcome these certain things, I'm going to give you authority. There's certain people, depending how you live this life, the Lord's going to give you authority. He's going to give you certain positions. He's going to give you certain ranks in heaven for eternity. These people who were counted worthy had a, had, were ruling and reigning with Christ for these thousand years. Okay, They're the ones who were given this authority. So then it talks about those who were martyred. They're also going to be ruling with Christ uh, because they didn't worship the beast or his image, and they didn't receive the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now here's verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Only certain people are going to be part of the first resurrection is what it's saying. That's what's interesting. And that's Remember that mysterious verse I gave you from Philippians 3 when Paul was like, I hope to attain to the resurrection? Could be talking about the first resurrection. We don't know. So this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they'll be priests of God in Christ and will reign for him a thousand years. Okay, a couple things I want to point out here. After this huge battle, like I said, we're gonna, there's going to be a thousand year reign. Now this is what's interesting. Many theologians believe that there's going to be human beings, natural human beings, who aren't part of the resurrection, who are going to live in the thousand years. Okay? So who are these people? These are the people who didn't rebel against the Lord, but they also weren't part of the Antichrist army that were devoured. So there's scriptural indication, this is a mystery, there's scriptural indication that makes it seem like in addition to there being resurrected people, like the, the saints, who are ruling with Christ, there's going to be natural people who are actually having babies and that sort of thing for the thousand years. Okay? So they're going to be subject to Christ's rule and have natural bodies. They're going to continue to populate. If this is true, then there will be two types of people during the millennium. Those who survived Armageddon and the resurrected saints who returned with Jesus, these are the ones who will rule and reign with Christ. Because if you think about it, it says you who are part of the first resurrection are going to rule and reign. Who are they going to rule and reign? Yeah, right? But here's, some, here's a scripture for you. I won't bother reading it because of time. This is from Micah 4, 1 to 4. In the last days, this is talking about, a lot of people believe, the millennium because it's the last days. It's not the last day, which is the... White throne judgment of Christ. The last days talks about how the Lord's temple is going to be established in the heights of the mountain and they'll be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God, and he'll teach us his ways so that we'll walk in his paths. Okay? Anyway, so here it's talking about how there's going to be an established temple in Jerusalem and the nations, the peoples are going to come to it. It's going to be a time of peace. Talks about how they're going to not take up their swords against each other, right? They're going to beat their swords and plowshares, all that. So there's this thousand years of peace is what this is saying. A lot of people believe these are the natural people, and there's other scriptures as well, who are living during that millennium reign. Revelation 27 So when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations. Who's he going to deceive? Because it talks about, if you remember, the resurrected saints in the first resurrection, it says they're not going to experience a second death. So they're not the ones being deceived by the devil when he gets re-released. 
another indication that there might actually be people living during that time. Natural people, right? And the ones he de- who he was able to deceive, you'll see here, he tries to make war. He gathers all the nations to make war against God and his people in this new Jerusalem or in the Jerusalem. And then God just devours them with fire like that. <laughs> kind of intense. So like I asked here, who are the people who are going to be deceived? And many people believe, like I said, it's going to be those with the natural bodies who live during the millennial reign. Okay. Lastly, talking about the chronology of the age to come, the new heaven and the new earth. Okay. Or sorry, there's the great white throne. And this is also called in scripture the day of the Lord. Okay. And interchangeable. Uh, if you see the arrow there, but that's not, anyway, that's where it occurs. So after the thousand-year reigns, there's the great white throne. And this is the intense judgment seat of Christ that we keep alluding to. Depending how you live in this life is going to determine how you live forever and ever and ever. Okay, so Revelation 20, 11 and 1. So then I saw a great white throne, after this is all done, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens, fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and, the, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were thrown in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name is not found in the written of the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. Remember I talked about earlier, Hades is the temporary intermediate hell. And then when this happens, it's getting thrown in the lake of fire. Okay. Heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. Last. Okay. And the chronology of the age to come. God purges and cleanses the first heaven and the first earth and creates a new heaven and a new earth. Now, there's lots of scriptures on this, Old and New Testament. Second uh, Peter 3, 10 to 13 is one of them, and also Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then, when this happens, the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven to earth, and God will dwell with his people forever. And I already said this, but a key point is that how we live in this temporal life will determine our position, our rank, our authority, and our rewards forever. And I'm going to be talking about this in the weeks to come because that is a critical factor. So many scriptures on that showing how we live now is going to determine that. So here's one example. First uh, Peter uh, three, uh, 10 to 3, uh, 3, 10 to 3 rather, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then what I wanted to show you down here is that he purges the old heaven and the old earth. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where the righteousness dwell. Jesus also says this in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So our current earth as we know it, our current heaven as we know it's going to pass away and he's going to replace and recreate a new heaven and a new earth. This is also in Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the great holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. My point is this. After the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus is purging the current creation, creating a new one according to this, and that's where we're living forever and ever and ever. Okay? Now, a glimpse into the new Jerusalem. I'm not going to bother going through this because of time. 
But if you want the notes, like I said, ottawacatchafire.com, I'll just quickly skim this. Because Revelation 21 talks in detail about the new Jerusalem, and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It talks about the stones and how the streets are transparent gold. And like I said, it's, it's huge. It's like 14 miles square feet. It's a huge city, and it's gorgeous. Okay, So it's good to meditate on this. Like I said, thinking about our eternal dwelling, heaven, is, is a really important thing for us to do to keep our hearts set on this. And so a good portion of Scripture just to meditate on, I'm telling you. And I was going to read it, but for time I won't. But this is Revelation 21, 9, and then all the way through uh, Revelation 22, 1 to 5. All of that talks about the New Jerusalem. I do want to read this, though. Okay, this is Revelation 22 now, verses 1 through 5, talking about the new heavens and the new earth. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him. They will see his face, which is awesome because Moses wanted that and he couldn't, right? We're going to be able to see God's face. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no longer more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them the light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now I want to ask you some interesting questions. First of all, who will live in the nations since the saints will live in the city, it says? Who are the nations? Healing for the nations, right? Also, who's going to need healing? We're talking about the new heavens and the new earth because we're going to have resurrected bodies, it says. We're not going to need healing. So who are the people who are going to need this healing? Secondly, or third, I already said this earlier, but I was talking about the millennium reign. Now I'm talking about the new heavens and new earth. Who are the saints going to reign forever and ever, right? It says they're going to reign forever and ever. Who? Okay. Will there be natural born people during this time as well? And I'm going to show you scripture that says there is. This is kind of a trip, okay? So, now, if you'll notice in in Revelation 21, I quoted, um, sorry, it quotes Isaiah, I'm just skipping ahead here, 65, 17 to 25, okay? There's a lot of text, I'll read this, because I'm going to show you that there's actually going to be natural people during this time. Because this is the scripture it quotes in Revelation 21. Okay? See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will recreate Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, to be a delight and its uh, people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people, right, the resurrected saints, The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. Okay, so that's talking about his people, the resurrected saints in the city of Jerusalem, New Jerusalem. The question now, who are the following people? Okay, This is verse 20. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. 
They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant um, and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will long uh, enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord and, they were, and their descendants with them. But they will call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Okay, this cannot be talking about the resurrected saints. Why? Because it talks about them living 100 years minimum. Okay? It talks about them bearing children. It talks about them building houses. We know from John 14, 2-4, this can't be talking about us because Jesus says, I've prepared houses, mansions for you. Who are these people building houses? Not us. Secondly, Jesus says in the resurrected body that we can't bear children because it says you're ne- when you're resurrected, you're going to be like the angels in heaven, neither bearing children right, or giving in marriage, right? Meaning you're not going to bear children. That's Matthew 22 to 30. So this portion of scripture in the new heavens and new earth are not talking about resurrected saints. There's some other people with natural bodies it's talking about who are bearing children and living a long time. Who are these people? That's a mystery. So the question is, now this is a potential answer, okay? Could it, or a question, I should say, could it be those who survived the millennium and who weren't deceived by Satan after the thousand years, remember the nation's ward, to live, and they live in the nations outside the New Jerusalem, and there's now, because they weren't deceived and didn't war with Satan, now they're in the new heaven and new earth? I don't know. It's a mystery. But that could be the case. Potentially, maybe what's going on is just as God created Adam and Eve, natural human beings, that's going to be restored maybe. And maybe there will be natural human beings who are going to live lives just like God originally intended. Then there's going to be us who live before the great tribulation up until the point when there's the first resurrection who are going to be ruling and reigning with Christ over these people in the nations. You can see Jesus in his resurrected body interacted with them, right? He ate breakfast with them. He appeared to them. He appeared to the 500. It might be a similar kind of thing with us, right? We might just be able to interact. I don't know. I don't know. It's a mystery. My point is the scripture clearly says that's the case. And so it's something we have to think about. I want to I share this. I'm about to end, but I want to show you this. This is from, so ruling reign, I already said, who are we going to rule and reign in the new heaven and new earth? Look at this. In Luke 19, 17 and 19, says, Well done, my good and faithful servant, his master replied, Because you've been trustworthy in a small matter, take charge over ten cities. And then the second came and said, Sir, your manor earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. This is a question, and I'm not saying this is the case, but are these cities the cities that are going to be in the millennium in the new heaven and new earth? In the nations? Maybe. Depending how you stewarded what God entrusted to you, God's going to give you more authority in the millennium and the age to come. And he might give you rulership over regions, over cities, whatever. Who are the inhabitants of these cities? Could it be those referred to in Isaiah 65? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. We're going to find out when we get there. The point is, there's some of these, like I said, mysteries that are interesting to think about when you actually see this in the Bible. What's the new heaven going to look like? I don't know. 
Like I said, you can read uh, Revelation 21 to get a glimpse of it. But the point is, because what we do now is going to influence what we do forever, it's good for us to think about these things and to consider them, which we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. So just to end then, I know this is kind of heady stuff, I suppose. It's a lot of learning and stuff. But Revelation 22, here's an exhortation from Jesus. All this has been said and done. He talks about the end time drama, new heavens, new earth, all this. What does Jesus say now? Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I'll give to each person according to what they've done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city, the new Jerusalem. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Now, I love this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take for the free gift of the water of life. Do you know what this is saying? I love this. Someone, you know, a lot of people say they're saying, Jesus, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. You hear that all the time. That's not what this is saying. You know what this is saying? This is saying those who want to be saved, come and drink of the free gift. The spirit and the bride, the church is saying this. We're come, right? The spirit and the bride say, come. And let those who hear say, come. Let the one who's thirsty come and drink the one who wishes to take from the free gift of the water of life. That's what we're saying. Come drink of the free gift of the water of life. Come get saved and live with us forever. That's the exhortation, and that's the one we have to be proclaiming. The Spirit and the Bride say, come and join the party and live forever and ever in eternity with the living God. Whoa. So on that note, <laughs> I want to pray for us. Thanks for bearing with me. I know it's a lot. That... Uh, in the days to come, when the weeks to come, we're going to be talking about different factors in terms of our judgment of believers and how that's going to impact eternity and how that's going to impact, like I said, how we live forever. And so I just want to pray for the grace for us to not only keep our minds and hearts set on things above, not on earthly things, so keep our hearts and minds in heaven, but also just thinking of this eternally, what we do now is going to impact that forever, okay? So I just want to pray for us. So Father, we just thank you so much for your grace, Lord. We thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness and that you sent your son who shed his blood for us on the cross so that we could have that eternal life for you forever because he came, redeemed us, set us free, justified us, Lord, I th sanctified us. I thank you for that. Just so that we can be restored and redeemed and live like Adam and Eve did before the fall in your presence. And so, Lord, we just ask that you give us this grace to set our mind on things above and to set our hearts on things above, not on earthly things. Lord, let us be he so heavenly minded that we are earthly good. Lord, I ask as you say that Jesus prayed, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be a people who live that as a lifestyle. That we pray that heaven come to earth and that that would actually manifest tangibly in our lives. Lord, we thank you there's no poverty in heaven. We thank you there's no sickness or disease in heaven. Let us be a people who manifest that tangibly so that we can be an example to this world who wants so much what you offer eternal life, 
eternal joy, eternal peace that the world can't give them. So Lord, I just ask as you say in Revelation twenty two seventeen, let us be a people who partner with your Holy Spirit to say, come, come and drink of the river of the water of life that only you offer, Father. So we just come before you now with thanksgiving and praise and adoration. And we thank you, Lord, for the grace to set our hearts and minds on these things continually so we can walk out a life that's worthy of the calling that you've given us in Christ. Thank you for all you've done and all you're doing and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So.